Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're just going to look at two verses today. And we're, we're in this second letter. Paul is talking about them having peace in the coming storm. And through two letters, the first letter, he talked a lot about that. The second letter is a follow-up letter to his first one, where he's trying to, to have these folks understand and answer their questions they might have. And so chapter 1 is typically a prayer of thanksgiving. And so he's going to pray two specific things here in verse 11. And then he's going to say why he's praying this in verse 12. But before we get to looking exactly at what he's talking about here, I kind of want to open our minds a little bit to the reality of what he's going to be praying about. And for a lot of you, what he's going to be praying about is probably, I'll be honest with you, new. It's probably not something you've thought about. Well, you say, George, I've read through Second Thessalonians many times. Yeah, but if you've read it like I have, you just kind of read through the opening prayer, and oh, that's a nice thing to pray about. You go on to the next part. Because chapter 2 is about what's going to happen in the future. That's what I'm really interested in. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But I want you to think about what he's going to be praying about, because it's really about having a focused life. It's about you and I being focused in our life and what we're living for and who we're living for. Well, I already know the answer to that, George. That's Jesus, right? Yes, I understand, but it's a little bit more to that than you realize. And to help you to understand, I want to open your mind a little bit. I want to say to you and to myself today, that you and I really have a small view of life. Now, as I say that, I already know that I'm going to offend some of you with that statement. What do you mean, I have a small view of life, George? You don't know what my plans are and my dreams are for my family and for myself. You don't know what I want to accomplish here in this world. How can you say that I have a small view of life? I can say that because most of us only think in terms of what we want. And I'm saying that for myself. So this really hit home to me this week. It's interesting. On Thursdays, Thursday mornings, you know, I drop Hudson off at school and then I buzz right back over here to my office and I get on a Zoom call, Bible study, and we're all talking about listening to God. And I realized as I started doing this study that uh, I was pretty distracted by my own stuff for many years. My own ambitions, my own desires, what others wanted as a pastor for the church, even for my own life. And I realized through that that, I'll be honest with just from George's perspective, I had a pretty small view of life. And I'll be honest with you, I probably still have that small view because I keep gravitating back to what's natural. But what these verses are going to talk about, what he wants to pray about for you and I is 
to have a bigger view of life. A bigger view of life that comes through Jesus. That most of us don't even have a clue about. And I would include myself in that. So let me give you two points about our small view of life. Okay, here's the first one. We only see spirituality in terms of our religious actions. What do you mean? Well, uh, George, uh, I read my Bible. I do my devotions. I I come to church. I was waiting for us to open. I'm here now. I give. Think about that. I mean, we, we usually, when we ask about how we're doing with our spirituality, we usually think in terms of what we're doing. What was the purpose? Measuring spirituality by actions. You say, how's that a small view of life? Because your concept, my concept of spirituality is only viewed in terms of what I'm doing as a Christian. There's so much more to it. I need you to understand that. I need you to begin to understand that. So much more to your spirituality, to you as a believer, than just what you're doing. Okay, here's the second one. The concept of a living relationship with God is missing to us. The whole thought of you interacting and talking to Jesus and watching him interact in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit is lost to us. It's missing to us. We've never had anybody talk to us about that. We don't even have any concept of that because, again, we only see spirituality in terms of what we're doing, what we're holding to. Now, isn't it interesting? We live in a time now when lots of people are leaving the church, especially young people, and and we're like, why? Why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? Well, because... It doesn't make any sense to them. You talk about having a relationship with Jesus, but all you're focused on is what you're doing. And we've missed communicating the relationship with the living God who can be alive to them. And the reason why we've miscommunicated that is because it's lost to us. We don't even know what that means for ourselves. And so that's why I think these two verses that we're going to look at today that we normally would just read through and brush over while I got chapter one done, I think are really good for you and I to pause about for a moment and see the two things that he's talking about that need to be evident in our lives. And I think if you grasp them, you'll have a bigger view of life. It'll change you. It's changing me. So let's look at it together. Here's what he writes, verse 11. Therefore, we also always pray for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at verse 11, and we're going to talk about what's really important. And then we're going to look at God's purpose in verse 12. He's got a purpose for why he's doing it, but you and I first need to understand what's really important. 
All right. So I'm going to give you three points for each one of these sections. All right. So here's the first point. It's important to pray for each other. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, we also pray always for you. So they're always praying for them. Now, can I be honest with you? Let's talk about changing how we pray for each other. He's getting ready to tell us what he prayed for. He prayed two specific things. Those are the two important things I'm going to tell you about in a moment. But here's what I want you to understand. When Paul prayed for them, he prayed for their relationship with Jesus. Think about the stuff we pray about. And it's not wrong. I'm not going to say, oh, you've been praying wrong. I'm not going to say that because we've been praying very sincerely, especially for loved ones in our life. Lord, I pray that they would come to church. If I could just get them in church. A lot of what we pray about is that they would do actions. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're praying about the actions, which again, I'm trying to say to you is a small view of life. There is so much more to Christianity than them coming to church. Because listen, stop for a moment. Think about it. Are you telling me that Christianity is the one hour that we're here? That's what Christianity is? The one hour of singing, of praying, of hearing scriptures and listening to a message, that's what Christianity is? That's what Jesus died for, is the one hour? He didn't die for one hour, right? He died for so much more. He died for you to have a relationship with God again that was broken where? In the garden. And has been broken ever since in all of our lives. So Paul, he's always praying for them. Why would he always be praying for them? Well, first of all, he's their spiritual daddy. He's the one that started the church. He's the one who introduced them to Jesus. So of course, he's going to be praying for them. You know what, folks, can I ask you a question? Don't answer it. Are you praying for each other in church? Oh, I'm so glad I got to see so-and-so today. I haven't seen them in a while. Great. Have you been praying for them, though? Have you been praying for the people that you care for? That they would grow closer to Jesus? See, it's important to pray for each other. First thing he says, it's really important. Pray for each other. Now, how do we pray? Here's the two things. First one, there was a desire for God to make their lives worthy of the gospel. That's what he prayed for. All right, now I'm going to say something to you because this is where it's going to blow your mind. All right, so in April of 19... 85, I came to know Jesus. I committed my life to follow Jesus. Within a week or so after that, I was invited and I was a part of an independent Baptist church. That's where I went to church. And, and you know what? And I love the memories of those people and being in that church. That was a good foundation for me. But there were some things that were wrong there and what was wrong there, I'll be honest with you, was the emphasis on what I was doing, how I was dressing, how short my hair was, what Bible I carried, where I could go and where I couldn't go. And actually, what was most important got lost in making sure that I was doing all this other stuff. Some of you can relate to that, right? Well, here's what I want you to see, because the emphasis of that type of atmosphere is on you doing it. Now here's what happens real quick when you are in that kind of atmosphere. You realize real quick you can't do it. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? You realize real quick, you're not perfect, and only the perfect ones can do it. And let's be honest, we realized real quick as we interacted with people, nobody was perfect. They were just good at making excuses. Right? So when we look at what Paul says here in his prayer, that our God would count you worthy you're going to say, well, I'm not worthy because I'm not perfect. I sin. Well, we all agree we sin. Yes. In fact, you sin without knowing you sin. You sin ignorantly. Yeah, we all do that. Then we're all doomed, right? No. Because you have a relationship with Jesus. And so what I want you to see is, is that it was his desire in praying for them that God would be the one that makes their lives worthy. In fact, the, the New King James says count worthy. Other translations say God make their lives worthy. It's God is the one who's making you worthy. God is the one who is performing the work. And here's what's interesting. He's pretty patient with us, right? Because the work he's doing ain't easy, right? Talk about adjusting attitudes. I can tell you right now, it ain't easy adjusting my attitudes, but God's patient with me. He's patient with you. See, this is why we have such a small view of life. We forget that it's God who's the one doing the work in our life and adjusting us. He is the one who is adjusting you into the person you need to be. Yeah, but I mess up, George. Yeah, and so do I. And you're going to. All right, this week's coming up. Go ahead and mark it down. You're going to mess up this week. Multiple times. But who is it that counts you worthy? Is it you? No. It's Jesus. Isn't that what salvation is? You couldn't do anything for salvation anyhow, right? It's what Jesus did for you, right? So the first thing he prays is that there was a desire that God would make their lives worthy. Now, here's the second one. This is where a lot of us have no concept. There was a desire for God to fulfill his good pleasure in their lives. All right, now, if I'm going to say a statement that some of you probably have never thought about before, but I want you to pause and think about it. God takes pleasure in your life. Yeah, well, I don't know if I believe that, George, because you don't know what I've done, and you don't... I understand that. I understand that. I understand that. But look at who's telling you this. It's the Apostle Paul who murdered Christians, threw them in jail, persecuted them. He considers himself the least. And he's trying to tell you that God takes pleasure in your life. And it is a desire that God would fulfill his good pleasure in your life. Paul is wanting for God to fulfill his delight in you. 
How can he say that? Well, again, I gave you a scripture earlier before the message. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's doing it for you to do his good pleasure. He takes delight in your life. How do you know that? Psalm 37. Listen to verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Okay, so, okay, I want you to understand something. I want everybody here to understand. God has laid out the course of your life. You just don't know what it is. Next part of the verse says, and he delights in his way. So God's laid out your life, and he delights in your way. Well, you know, I, I messed up. That's why I like to say God's plan includes your screw-ups. You already knew you were going to screw up. But he's still heading you in that direction. Do you understand? He's still heading you in that direction. How do you know that his plan includes my screw-ups? Look at verse 24. Though he fall, that scripture refers to the fact of falling isn't talking about you stumbling, tripping over something, although it's a picture of that. It's talking about falling into sin because he knows you're going to what, folks? Sin. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. That's not talking about losing your salvation. It's not talking about God giving up on you. Why? For the Lord upholds him with his hand. What am, I, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to get back to the point that it is God's desire to fulfill his good pleasure in your life. Two things that God wants you to understand that he's doing in your life. Number one, he is making you worthy to be with him later on. Isn't that not awesome? It's not relied on you. He's the one doing it. And then number two, he's finding pleasure in your life right now, and he's going to fulfill his pleasure in your life. So whatever it takes, he'll do that. That really opens up your world. So it's not about what you want. It's not about what George wants. It's not about my dreams or my ambitions. It's about what Jesus wants to do in my life and about the relationship I can have with him. See why it's not about the stuff I do? It's not about the stuff I do. It's about the relationship with God who loves me, who loves you. Do you know what I mean? Why is he doing that? Well, that's where verse 12 comes in. Look at what he says in verse 12. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things I'm going to point out to you here. Why? What's the God's purpose? Number one, first of all, the Lord is doing this so that Jesus is glorified in your life. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen to me. God's work in your life, as he's molding you, as he's doing his good pleasure in your life, is for a purpose. And the purpose is so that Jesus Christ is glorified in your life. So every time he answers a prayer, every time he responds, when, you, when you're like, 
an offhand thought, and all of a sudden God does it. What? It's so that Jesus is lifted up in your mind and in your heart. It's so that you keep getting a bigger view of who he is and you praise him for who he is. So that your trust and your faith in him continues to grow. Do you, do you understand? That's his purpose. He wants Jesus to be big in your mind. He wants Jesus to be big in your life. He wants Jesus to be it. He wants Jesus. He wants you to have a view of Jesus in your life, not just a small view of life. That's why he's doing it. So listen, all right, so we all have these coincidences that happen, right? You should. What do you mean? Where God does something? Oh, wow, that was a nice coincidence. There is no nice coincidence. It's God magnifying himself in your life, saying, I'm, I'm a part of your life. I'm doing what I'm doing. It's so that Jesus is glorified in your life. Now, here's the second one. Now, a lot of us have not thought about this one. That first one, yeah, yeah, maybe Jesus being glorified. I thought about it. Here's the second one. The Lord is doing this so that you are glorified before God. He says it in a brief statement here. He says that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. We usually just pass on over, but here's what that means. It means that God is doing, counting you worthy, making you worthy, fulfilling his good pleasure in your life because he takes delight in you so that when you go before him, you are glorified. Like, what does that mean, George? Well, how about the Gospels where Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful steward. You've been faithful over little. Here, I'll give you more. What that means is, is one day when we go to be before Jesus, Jesus says, Father, here he is. Here she is. Look at what they did with their life. They persevered. They had trust. Isn't it awesome what we did in their life? And here's the magnification of that Lord. That's called being glorified in him. We don't even think that way. God finds pleasure in your life. I, I think we can relate to that. You know, I'm, I'm a dad, okay? So, so when my kids do stuff, I want to share it on Facebook. I've been told not to, so I don't. But I want to share it. Why? Because I take pleasure in them. You, you know what I'm talking about, parents, grandparents. You take pleasure in your kids. You, you want to glorify them because of what they're doing, because they're your child, folks. You're God's child. And he just doesn't want to put you on Facebook. He wants to talk about you in heaven before his angels. Do you know what I'm saying? Who are going to rejoice with him over you. Now, do you see why we have such a small view of life? There's one other thing he points out here in God's purpose. Okay, it's the very last statement. 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how is this all possible? Well, grace is the basis for God's actions, the Lord's actions towards you. Grace is the basis. Grace. What does that mean? Can I tell you what it means? It was never about you. That's what it means. It was never about you. I mean, I think we understand that because here's what we do. We like to look. We, we always look at, well, you know, you, <laughs> yeah, I know this I did wrong. This I did wrong. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, it's never about you. Never has been. You can never achieve it with him. So it was never about you. It was always about what Jesus did for you. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's always about Jesus, and he shows grace to us. Getting that which we don't deserve. Mercy, love. He just loves us. We belong to him. And he's going to do this, whether you realize it or not. Here's the thing. I'm telling it to you right now. But he was already doing this with you, whether you realized it or not. And he'll continue to do it. Because why? He wants Jesus to be glorified in your life, and he wants you to be glorified in Jesus. That's grace. That's grace. So, okay, what do we do with this, George? Well, here's the thought I want to leave you with, okay? I think the question is for you and I is this. Do you want to be truly spiritual? Does, there, does everybody want to be truly spiritual here? Okay, we want to be truly spiritual, right? Okay, here's the point. True spirituality is not being satisfied with superficial religion. Look, if you're satisfied with, well, I come to church once a week, I give, I volunteer, I read my Bible. Folks, that's superficial religion. I'm just going to be honest with you because there's a lot of people who do that who are nowhere. There's a lot of people who do that or are heading to hell. True spirituality is not satisfied with that. True spirituality is only satisfied with one thing only. You know what it is? Meeting Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. That's what true spirituality. True spirituality is not going through the motions. It's knowing and seeing Jesus. Working and doing his work in your life. Communicating to you, leading you, being there for you. That's true spirituality, is having a relationship with him. So let me ask you, what do you want? Do you want something more? It's there. You just have to take it.
but it's up to you. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.